0: This is Doreen Young here with the Audio Percolator. I am here with Ronke Edoa Reeves, my sister, and we are going to talk about the Black American male rhythm and blues vocalist. And this will be an ongoing conversation. Okay, it says here, the Black American male rhythm and blues vocalist, masters of their craft, voices telling a story of sheer determination and combining vocal sounds from Africa and the Americas. These men are an integral part of American cultural expression and reveal the spectrum of our human experience and emotion through their contributions. This conversation acknowledges their place in American history. The voices of these men
1: embody the strength, beauty, and power of the Black American man by showcasing their complexities. Their voices embody love, longing, and fragility, which often push back against how they are traditionally defined. Our focus on their vocal performances and signature songs, both honor and celebrate their remarkable
0: representation. Yes. So we've been wanting to do this and we're continuing. And thank you for being with me this evening, Ronke. Okay? Oh, it's my pleasure, I'm excited about <laughs> doing this. <laughs> me too, me too. We have a short list um, that we're working from tonight. Uh, the category that we're exploring somewhat in an, I guess, in an, in an introductory way, so to speak, I guess. This category is called Singing Instrumentalists. And uh, the first name on the list here is Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, who I just realized passed away in March of 2017, which is yesterday. This is a man who, <laughs> he he had such a great influence, a big influence on American culture, period. Rock and roll guitar, vocal, um, live performance. Speak with me about him from your perspective. Well, when I think of him,
1: I think of him as an originator of rock and roll. Um, I know Little Richard, who we're going to talk about, loves to, love. love, I'm speaking in present tense with him, love to say that he was the originator, you know, the, the the quasar and all of that. But when I think about Chuck Berry's music, the rhythms on the guitar, his vocals, his songwriting. You know, a lot of people don't talk about his songwriting. He was a songwriter and he told stories in his music. Um, there was a strong country and Western influence um, that he always had within his uh, songs. Some six, six, uh, Sweet 16, Sweet Little 16, I'm sorry, is like one of my favorite songs by him more than Johnny B. Good and some of the other ones that um, people always uh, talk about. But I, his rhythms, uh, his, the rhythms in his guitar playing and the songwriting, if you li- listen to a lot of Chuck Berry after he passed away. And what I love to do is explore some of the songs that I don't know too well, and the albums mm-hmm. I don't, and the compositions I don't know too well, which I did with him. And he was really, really, really a poignant songwriter. Mm-hmm. And one that I didn't, when I was younger, give him credit for being so. Uh, I, I didn't know, I didn't realize it, but um, the country and Western influence is really there. And um, I just really love the
0: rhythmic melodic sound of that guitar. Yeah. He, he did amazing things with that guitar. Yeah, he was, a, he, he's, he's an amazing man. I mean, if you think about it, I think when we're not that far removed generationally, but um, you know, none of us as kids really realized the value that the man had. I mean, he represented a former time, the, rock, right. the, the the era of rock and roll and the performer for the oldies crowd or whatever you want to call it, retro. Um, right. But if you think about the influences you're talking about, country, Western, straight up rock and roll, the rhythm, rhythm, guitar, rhythm, uh, rhythm and blues, blues. He was born in 1926. Right. That was a pivotal time. A lot of people that made a real serious mark came around around that period, 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, don't, I don't think we realized, cause you know, one of the things is he was such a happy go lucky type. He was a happy guy. You remember how he used to, he was kind of a joke, like he would joke and laugh and smile. And he was just a, a happy performer. You could see the joy he had. And yes. um, in just what he did. So there was, I don't wanna say there was a lack of seriousness on the part of the viewer, but I think we were just watching an older man having a good time. That was the the immediate image that we saw. But if you look closer, you're gonna see a serious musician, like you said, who was a composer, a vocalist, a killer singer, and a really great performer, who's loved by people of all cultures. That's
1: right. And that, see, that was the show that he put on for us. Happy go lucky doing his, you know, duck walk and <laughs> all of that. But the business side of him was very serious. You know, of that generation, they wanted to be paid in cash and upfront because they were sometimes stiff for their gigs. Um, sometimes he had a shotgun in the suitcase as well, you know, because of the time and we get dicey, you know, promoters didn't want to pay but there was a seriousness about him and people knew when it came to the money and the business that he didn't play. And as soon as that gig was over, Chuck was out. Like he was gone. Like the band would still be, maybe still unpacking what he would be in the car, like gone. Like it was that, that was his, um, his MO of his, but he did the show. he gave give the crowd what they wanted. As you said, it was a inter, an intermixed crowd of all races. Everyone loved his music. Mm-hmm. And I find mm-hmm. all cultures, especially when he passed, some of the wonderful tributes that I read and just some of the um, fans of the music talking about him, you know, different generations, different races, like his music really touched everybody, but he was very serious about that business. The show was, you know, spectacular. He gave it all on stage, but when the when it came
0: time for the business, he was very serious about that. And, you know, that's something to be learned. I mean, it's, a, it's sad that many people couldn't learn those lessons, I think, men like chuck berry had that old time sensibility but they knew how to keep a line between business and uh being business doing business and being personal and not getting the two confused and and probably he'd been through a lot like most musicians and wasn't playing at that point um i just want to encourage anyone who's listening to this broadcast who has not spent time listening to chuck berry to do so And and you know it's interesting. These singing instrumentalists that we're talking about, a lot of them are very connected to country music, country country and western. Even Grandma Mm -hmm. talked about that. You know, talked about sitting sitting at home listening to the radio with her family or with whomever they were with, and they were listening to country western, country and western. That's what was on the radio, and the stories that were told through those songs, um, and bluegrass and things like that, intermingled with. Our music, um, or the music of, I would say, the rural South, you know, the West. I would say the rural South first, because that's where, you know, when African Americans started moving West, that was a process, you know, the, right. where they would end up in the Midwest and then, you know, Ohio, Kansas, whatever have you, and then eventually California for those who made it that far. But um, a lot of the rural music has those. Um, has that country and Western influence to it, and all the all the singers we're going to talk about, um, all the all the musicians we're going to talk about, um, and I guess we've been looking at them from their from the perspective of them being singers, vocalists. Right. These ones were also known for their um, instruments, their instruments that they played outside of their vo- voice, outside of their vocal cords, <laughs>
1: exactly. And
0: um, being guitarists or pianists. Um, we can get back to Chuck Berry, but I wanted to move on to B.B. King, because that's another one who went around the same time, 2015. It just seems like it was yesterday. Um, it, he was someone we never thought, like he was like a constant feature that would never leave. And when he, um, when he passed away, it was kind of like some kind of musical wake up call or something for a lot of people, because it was like, oh, wait a minute, we just lost a treasure. And I think B.B. King, though he was super famous, and his name is synonymous with the blues. He personally didn't seem to be someone who was all about the limelight on any level. Not at all, not at all. Even in his performances, there was a humility that came through, you know? I think it it felt like he let the music
1: be center stage. And um, I had read somewhere once that he couldn't play guitar and sing at the same time. Um, and I, I looked at it as that as, you know, letting his guitar, letting Lucille kind of, you know, wail and, and do what she's going to do through his, you know, instrumentation. And then he would concentrate on the vocal.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: um, if you listen to his music, they're always two separate. Right. Right. I, heard, I read somewhere that he couldn't do both at the same time. And I was like, wow, I never thought of that, but. It allowed me to focus on whatever riff or lick he was playing, and then I'd concentrate on the vocal. What does a uh, BB King mean to
0: you when you when we talk about BB King? And his- um, he always reminded me of our aunt Janie. I don't know why, but he does. And 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 the reason why is like I guess it's it's genetically meaning in terms of the mixtures of African Americans with natives, indigenous Native and indigenous Americans. Um, I can see that in him. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but it's what I see. <laughs> and also, um, his vocal is a old-school vocal that um, reflects history, period. Looks like he was born in 1925, right around the time of Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry,
1: okay, yeah.
0: Um, that guitar was a way out or a way up or a way down the road for a lot of people.
1: Right.
0: Um, if you so chose to embrace, you know, embrace it. Um, He seemed to me in a sense to be somewhat of a mystery. Um, I don't know why. I guess it's because maybe personally, I just never knew much about him, but I do know the hits and I enjoy hearing him. And he has such a, um, I won't say just because he's famous, but he's got a vocal that you know him right away. There's no soon confusion as soon as he sings. Yeah. <laughs> the minute. <laughs> and that's that's the sign of a true vocalist. And and he also his voice is a voice when I say old school, I mean his voice is history. So when he sings any kind of lick, especially when he does those growls or like um when he does those um it's like a Negro spiritual vibe. and he goes there in his vocal, he's giving you history. He's giving, like, I can, I feel whatever he went through. Not necessarily bad. Just, it's just a sound of a time and, a, and, a, and of the history here in this country. I hear no, it. I
1: agree. You can hear, it's a very authoritative and the growl and the rumble and the, it's almost like, um like a preaching almost yes, like, it, yes, you know what I mean? Yes, like it's, yes. You know, it's, that's why I love the fact that he's not playing guitar when he's singing. Cause I really want to focus on the feeling of the vocal. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what Ray Charles would do with his voice, but mm-hmm, differently, mm-hmm. you know, for any of our listeners, I would love for them to look up the clip on YouTube that I sent you. Of Bobby yes. Bland. Bland. B.B. King and, and James Brown together. James Brown really held back in that video. He was really just enjoying Bobby Blue <laughs> Bland and B.B. King and grinning like yeah, a boy. I'm, I'm probably among and, that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try and put a link in the description box below. But he he was, was grinning like
1: a little boy to be amongst that 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 uh, realm of blues man. Mm-hmm. You know, James Brown was more funk, but he was with the blues, the, mm-hmm. the blues man. You mm-hmm. could feel he was excited about it. I actually got a chance to see. Uh, B.B. King Live when I was at Vibe. One of the things I love being at Vibe is I got to see a lot of live shows for free. Sometimes the music editors would come back and say, hey, I can't make this show. Who wants to go? Stuff like that. A friend of mine took me because he was really into B.B. King. He played the Apollo. I think we had like first row seats. It was very, you know, (laughs) the music industry, you know, insider stuff. B.B. King was amazing. But what amazed me most about the experience was you had people in their grandma's age women who were yelling and screaming and throwing underwear on stage they were grandma's age <laughs> and i was like wow what is going on here i thought that was something only the younger folks did but the the older women in that crowd oh man this was like the 90s okay the 1990s i don't know what year it might have been 94 95 but the old women were i mean he had you know B. B. King he had the audience, rubies, I guess. I mean, I mean, the women were really like, <laughs> B. B. King groupies. I, I mean, they were really in the front and they were really, I just, I never thought I would see that they were people grandma's age. I just,
0: wow. That's, that's funny. Um, I think that's why he couldn't play and sing or wouldn't, wouldn't play and sing at the same time, because I think he really is a vocalist. Yeah. So when you are singing, you don't want you don't want to deal with anything else. You know what yeah. I mean? You yeah. you want, because he's a lead guitarist, he doesn't do a lot of rhythm, you know? Yeah. And he is going to tell you his story through his vocal. Mm. And I like that uh, his his tonality, or I don't know if he's a baritone or a tenor, or whatever. He's just, he just has a vocal that you respect and that um, you can hear the influences And it tells a a story just by its tone, not the words, the tone of the voice. And, you know, like me, I'm an audio person. And um, maybe it's because I had problems with my sight when I was the first few days of my life. Um, But I can always tell what mood people are in, how they're feeling just by the tone of their voice. And B.B. King um, communicated so much through just the tone of his voice. You know what I mean? I
1: would totally agree with that. I would. To, I mean, I can hear his voice now as we're talking about exactly. It. Me yeah.
0: too. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: you can definitely... hear him. Just
0: you know, you can hear it. I don't even want to try and imitate him. No, but I want no. to. I'm feeling like I want to. But yeah, BB King. That's these are these are all people we're bringing up. You know, we're going to end up talking more about these folks. In the, definitely. In, in the coming conversations. Okay, now we're going to go back to Little Richard. Little Richard. Oh, I.
1: I I love that man so much, and we just lost him last year during this pandemic. Yes, twenty twenty, and I it 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 devastated me because I love 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 Little Richard, and my favorite Little Richard era is the sixties Little Richard, uh, when he got a little wild and crazy with the makeup and the and his jumpsuits got very tight. The live stage shows from that period are amazing. They are amazing. I mean, he just you know, I feel like he was very tame of the time in the 50s because mm-hmm. you had to be, you know, suited up, you know, got a little while putting the leg up on the piano. But by that point in the 60s, he was he actually was headed toward the church a little bit after that, because he I, I i don't know what was going on in his personal life. He's about to go <laughs> over the deep end. But if you look at any of the interviews from that time, interviews with Dick Cavett, any of that stuff, it's all on YouTube. Because I think I watched every interview after he passed. Um. He, he was truly, truly, truly amazing. That, that's what you call an amazing man with, in a, with an amazing life. Uh, I just wanted to go back a little bit and um, I wanted to go back a little bit to talk about his beginning and how he had to wear that makeup the, and, and, and put on that, per, that effeminate vibe persona to get into the clubs he could get into back in Macon, Georgia back in the day. That was all very calculated. Mm. And it was very, very, he, he wanted to come off as very pretty and prissy because he was seen as a non-threat to play in some of the uh, integrated uh, secret clubs they had in Atlanta mm-hmm. and, and, Macon, and Macon, Georgia. So I just thought that was a genius move for anyone who, and it was very forward of its time. He knew that he could get further with that look than to come in, you know, strong and, you know, virile and very alpha male. That wasn't gonna cut. Alpha it. black male, yeah. It, which is he seen as even more mm-hmm. of a threat. I mean, think about, we're talking about when he was born, 1932, this is coming off a little bit after B.B. King and Chuck Berry in the South. You know, those were very, very dangerous times for our people. So yeah. I, I just think that was genius that he that was a part of his marketing,
0: early yeah. marketing strategy. Yeah. And you know, you, you think about little Richard as a trendsetter. So many uh people copied his style because of the marketability of it, I think. But I don't I don't I when I think about little Richard as a musician, as a singer and a piano player. Mm-hmm. Um It's the groove. I mean, he had the ultimate groove going. I mean, it was like steady, rock steady, like James Brown rock steady. Like it ain't, you're in the pocket. Ain't no such thing as falling out of it. You know, it's like coming from the background of Fats Waller and um, other boogie woogie musicians from the forties that kept it popping. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't going nowhere. That, That groove was solid as a rock. But then, you know, he took it to another level because his vocal, it's like pre-George Clinton screaming in key, making you just flip out. Because uh, in my last interview, somebody said, he just said, "Um, I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door and I'll get it myself. But he said, without the huh before I get it myself, you know, (laughs) it it ain't the same thing. It has a different meaning. That was making me laugh when Dr. Twig said that. He said, open up the door and I'll get it myself. We were were talking about, we were talking about the African-American aesthetic in that part of the conversation. And Little Richard is the epitome of that when it comes to music with his loud but in the pocket and in the key, in the groove, in always in key. You always know what I'm saying? Key. Yeah. And so yeah. and and keeping that, keeping that, keeping that, and it's and and they and they worked hard for the money, so they, they could keep that up. That pace was kept up for for as long as the gig lasted. Yeah. And people were just they went crazy, and other musicians could were just, you know, you're talking about people that have seen stuff in the south, you know. We talked so about much. people that were imported into this country to pick cotton and make indigo and grow cotton, rather, and things like that. And, I, and I'm just fresh off this last conversation, but I, I, I connected to this because when you see how hard folks worked throughout the year on these gigs and how hard they worked on each gig. So I don't know. Little Richard always struck me as a man who earned his keep. And when, you, when he sang from the time I was a child, you listened to him. Mm. That's a man who commanded attention when he, he did. got on the mic, and, and and then his songs and his grooves were catchy. They were somewhat a little bit out there, but it didn't matter because you knew the you knew the groove, you knew the song because you heard it, and um, he made that impression. Um, so I find him to be a uh, a unique <laughs> facet of the African-American experience in America. You know, it's just, he's a, he's, a, he's basically a trip.
1: Basically, he's a trip. And the foundation really, I mean, again, when I talk about the trilogy of this rock and roll music as we know it, his energy, the performance, the musicality, the way he played that piano, it, it was like, um, it was like otherworldly of his time. Like nobody was playing piano like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the mixture of the, the gospel, but it it was rockabil- rockability. It was it was the energy. That energy. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of people point toward his piano playing is making them want to be in rock and roll. Elton John. So many mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. There's a long list of piano players who said when I heard Little Richard, I knew this is what I had to do. Like right. no one, it was it was like before <laughs> Little
0: Richard nap in terms of how he played at piano. You can see the influence on Elton John. You can see the influence on people like Billy Preston, which of course definitely you know definitely goes to the Beatles and other people. Um, I'm not doing this conversation in order, which I don't want to do that I want I like to jump around. You know what I mean? Right. Um but little Richard um I I'll I'll be happy to see a real film on him. There have been some good ones. I thought Um, that the one, the TV movie they did That was excellent. That that, was excellent. It was directed
1: by Robert Townsend and Leon did it. And actually, um, Little Richard was alive, so he got to consult about the factual thing. It was a TV movie version. Yeah. I, I would I would advise people to revisit that until yes. they do. They, they yeah, I would like story. to see an
0: actual film.
1: I mean, like but a, I, I I think that that would that's a good
0: place to start. Just it because truly is. It he truly was involved. He was involved in it, and it kind of tells you the overview. Yeah, and of maybe this I'm looking for a documentary and not an actual like live act, you know like a reenactment. I'm I think I'm looking more for a comprehensive documentary. Right that I don't know if that exists it
1: probably will exist now that we just lost him I also wanted to just say that if people are looking for um, songs or clips to to hear more of the little Richard experience one of my favorite songs by him is the girl can't help it he has a ton of them but that one to me just the production of it and the the rhythm of it it's it that that song really rocks and rolls and he also, inducted helped to induct otis redding into the rock and roll hall of fame that's on the Uh, rock and roll rock and roll hall of fame site mm -hmm. Sang otis redding songs beautifully gorgeous Mm -hmm. i mean he Mm -hmm. sounded just like otis when he sang them Mm -hmm. both were making georgia so he felt very akin to him Mm -hmm. they knew each other in the industry in passing and he gave a lovely um dedication to him was very beautiful it rambled and it was all over the place and it was messy and it was sloppy. And <laughs> they had to eventually kind of reel him back in. But everything that he said was from the heart. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if you he would kind of go off on a tangent of when he was talking about the different songs by Otis and he would sing them beautifully in key, go, you know, a gorgeous singing voice. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this guy could play the piano, but his
0: voice was amazing. He could go very high. He had to scream. But he was a beautiful vocalist as well. Yeah, so, we're gonna we're gonna revisit that during the Southern Men conversation that we're gonna have because there's a there's a the way they treated the music is ridiculous. Like, the, I mean, I, wanna, I guess they're all Southern
1: Men. I want to stop here because I don't know if you can hear that truck in the back. I don't know. Can you hear that? Actually, no.
0: Mm-hmm. You I think your headphones gonna,
1: are available. Let me just close the window a little bit because it's ready. okay. That's cool. Okay.
0: Yes. So, um, (laughs) um, one of my favorites is Money, Honey. It just just makes me laugh, but it not just makes me laugh, but it's, it's also funky, like the way it's treated, um, the way he does it, but, um, I'm glad we're, 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 um, bringing up, uh, recordings that people should listen to. Um, and yes, I will go back and listen to the girl can't help it. B.B. Yeah. Um, King, listen to everything you can find. Chuck Berry, listen to everything you can find.
1: Everything you can find. Um, everything, everything you can find, yeah. yeah.
0: The next one on my list is Ray Charles. Wow. Um, which, you know, it's, you know, the movie kind of gave us the story, uh, but I want to talk about just that vocal because he could play and he was definitely a, 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 an instrumentalist, but his voice it brings tears to your yeah, eyes yeah it was you know.
1: where, where where that voice goes when he holds a note it it could bring tears to your <laughs> yeah. eyes
0: yeah um we had done a piece of music to i mean not a piece of music we had done um a visual thing regarding his song America his version of America which is was telling a story of a black family um it's, it was a, a videography thing uh, that Ronnie did, Ronnie Cruz did with um, the, the the artwork of Naji Dorsey. Actually, it was interesting, but his voice is the teller. It's a teller of a story, of the tale, of the of the sorrow, of the feeling, of the of the the core. His voice is like the soil. It's the soil. Yeah. It's the soil of that we're standing on. It's like I don't know. How do you? I mean, even even hit the road, Jack. The yeah. groove on that. It's like. Yeah. How many times did you start singing "Hit the Road Jack" in the kitchen and have to just keep singing it? "Hit the Road Jack." I mean, you just got you. Get, it's like a it's like a mantra. "Hit the Road Jack." You end yeah, up, you end up,
1: that that's a, it, <laughs> I love what I love about that song is it is such a African American tale in the song. <laughs> you know, our songs sometimes just get right to the point and
0: basically, you know, and don't and don't you come back no more? Right. You know? There was a very uh, intellectual version of that song, not, not hit the road, Jack, but the thought of it with the uh, coming home, come on home by Lambert, Hendricks and Ross, that mom mm. used to listen to that. Okay. And it was basically saying hit the road, Jack, but Ray Charles just simplified the message Completely. and basically, <laughs> and you know, and it, it's what you call relatable by yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. And all these artists on our list are, are relatable globally. Um. Every and anyone um, can understand where they're coming from. He was born in 1930, passed away in 2004, which was fairly, fairly recent times. You know, we remember you remember his hilarious appearance in Blues Brothers, um, which I will never forget that if anyone wants to just go watch Blues Brothers and check out Ray Charles as the music store owner, that is very funny. And um, I don't know what, when you, I mean, we don't really play Ray Charles's music that much. I think, I think sometimes we do, but he's not someone we go to all the time. He's someone that exists as part of the library. And every now and then you'll play a Ray Charles song, like at a serious moment, like, like you don't know me or something like that. But I think the reason for that, is kind of because a lot of his recordings were like 50s, right? There were like some 50s 50s, stylized recordings that had those, um, I can't stop loving you vocals in the background. And, you know, when it comes to what they would call at that time was commercial lounge music, you know, the the lounge music of that time, um, there were certain stars or performers that had that genre Kind of in their hands, you know, right. uh, the the Frank Sinatras, the the Stephen Eades, or well, maybe not Stephen Eades. Stephen Eades was maybe more sc- closer to sixties, but um, so Ray Charles was more the uh, he was like the voice from your from the black southern past or whatever, but modernized to the full.
1: Modernized to the full, and I think that the movie. Ray, mm-hmm. is the star Jamie Foxx, dir- directed by Taylor Hackford, um, helped to bring his music to the forefront. I think that after that point, the film was released, so they sampled Ray for the Gold Digger song that Kanye West did. So the <laughs> right. whole new generation got to hear this sound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I feel like Ray's always with us. It's not. I don't know if it's something that we go too often. Um, well, I don't know. I listen to these artists. I don't know about everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. We carry you know him I mean? with us. We carry he, he, him with us. He's kind
1: of with us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. Georgia, on my mind, is usually always played for anything involving that city, something to do with Atlanta. That comes up often. he always use his version. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the family's using his music in how they're using the catalog, because I noticed... Um, after Bill Withers passed, I noticed I noticed his family's using his catalog all over the place in, you know, commercials and stuff. Same thing for Aretha Franklin. I don't know if they did the same thing with Ray's music. So I think more of their music is still kind of in the ether just because mm-hmm. how the
0: family's choosing to use it. Right. I think, I think, that, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. It's, but I
1: think I think Ray is just he's, he's a he's a he's a part of our fabric of of the music and culture and I think he's just always with us. I, I can't say it any other way.
0: And and that's part of his power because um, like a Bob Marley or, or John Lennon or um, someone like that or B.B. King, um, I think he does something very important. He gets people that perhaps might be uncaring to care okay. because his music was so well-crafted and released at a time when several different types of people were listening to it in terms of social class and uh, ethnicity, and or at least here in the States, I should say. And when people hear it, they're, uh, they're brought together with it. They're brought together by his music, meaning the emotions, we may not be physically together, but our emotions suddenly harmonize on a human level because we're listening to this man's voice
1: this is true and this is also a man who at the height of his career switched gears from rhythm and blues to do country because he was a huge fan of country music Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he did country music because he loved the music so much his modern sounds and country did that in 1962 totally pivoting away from what he was known for and known Mm -hmm. as
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so i that only widened
0: his uh fan base and I think base. I'm going to pull that up. Yeah. And that's a good year, 62. That's pre-6 yep. pre, pre the movements of 67. I'm gonna that's gonna be a next listen to for me. Thank you, Ronke. Yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna be getting that yeah. one. Um so we'll we'll we're probably gonna come back to him too. Um I'm sure we may do later on do me some sort of all-star uh con- conversation like the top three or five. Um next one on my list is george benson george benson Benson. and that's you know modern man who encompasses a lot of our experience in one person um i met him as a teenager and i like to this story's corny but I, I still like this story. I think I was at Atlantic Studios or something, you know, near Columbus Circle. And I was super young, like maybe like 18 or something. And I re- I just kind of bumped into him in the studio. I don't know, I was there to see somebody else or whatever. And I turned around, he was like, oh, hi, I'm George Benson. And I went, oh, hey, how you doing? No, nice to meet you, I'm Doreen. I said, excuse me for a minute. And I went to the bathroom and I went, ah! <laughs> because I had to let it out and I couldn't do that in front of him because right. that would have been not cool. Yeah, no, you were very cool. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, nice meeting you. My name's Doreen, how you doing? You know, when you were in Atlantic's, you know, sometimes people would pop in like that for whatever they were doing, maybe wow. a, session, a session or to see somebody. And um, the thing about George Benson is that most people don't realize how special george benson is and even at that age without even the knowledge i have now i knew that you know when was um, this
1: roughly when year was that would you say
0: this was probably like 80 okay 81 okay. ish wow something okay. like that born 1943 43. it's like mm-hmm. yes he has um a bio, bio a bio that everyone should read If they get a chance, just like on Wikipedia or whatever, just to get an understanding of what he's done and who he is. He's he's an amazing instrumentalist, a beautiful singer, and kind of always was a little bit under the radar until that on Broadway song came out. Because I can play this here guitar. Oh, right, on
1: Broadway, right? Mm -hmm. And
0: I won't stop till I'm a star on Broadway. I think that
1: was the first... Mm-hmm. The song I ever heard and really right. paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But yeah, and I think that's what made him a mainstream hit. But I think people understood him as kind of an R&B singer or a pop hit. It was a jazz cut. I mean, he he riffed and scattered. Right. And um, that was the beauty of songs in the 70s, some of the music of that time, because it combined all these flavors. R&B and jazz and everything. Mm-mm. 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 That was so cool. Yeah. Anybody it was very who funky. doesn't know George cool. Benson, to go back and check out on Broadway, it was a remake. It was it's so much fresh life, like like the breath of life was put into that song. That I thought that was his song. <laughs> uh, that
1: was his original song. I didn't know was exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly that it was a cover. But it's just showing. It. He he demonstrated some amazing things with that song. For me, as a young person hearing it, it was like wow. This is what, this to me, he sounded like a, a working musician who had to make this cover work. Um, often, you know, we'll try to take covers and make them ours or make them appealing in a new way to an audience. Right. Um, sometimes those things can't be captured. They That was a live recording, I believe. If I'm wow. not mistaken. And it was a, cat. they captured the feeling. Right. And you heard you felt the energy the way they were doing recordings at that time was special a lot of bands the way they were recording their music during that time in new york city we have to do we have to do a discussion about that, and that I to, never, I have, that'll never happen again That was a, a no, gone, era. i may have to bring in some um producers and people for a conversation with you and i to talk about that because the techniques and the groups that were you know, we're talking like the period of, I guess, GRP records, um, Quincy Jones's work in the 70s um, and a few others. Um, You know, Quincy worked with a lot of different people at that time. You had people like Billy Joel and others around at that time too. And um, you had a lot of the, the people who were going to be the progenitors of the smooth jazz movement (laughs) they put a term (laughs) to that you know it wasn't supposed to be that but they put a term to that Mm -hmm. right after wrvr disappeared remember i don't know if you remember rvr you might be too young i don't i don't remember that everyone can look up rvr see if you can find some old shows um that was a time a marker in time where you had just jazz and all of a sudden you had smooth jazz and kenny g and um we always put Kenny G to that and Michael Bolton and others who were do mm. that, that type of uh, mainstream soft jazz, but the people I knew pre that title were people like Michael McDonald and Brenda Russell, who got pushed into that category but you know And George Benson kind of fell with Breezin, the album Breezin and with the Quincy Jones work. He kind of, he wasn't really lumped in that category at all because you couldn't categorize him because he was just that. He was just so good. You just couldn't. He was just George Benson. (laughs) He He really was. He wasn't a a this or a that. And that's what makes him so special. He was a jazz musician that could sing. He could play himself. He could just play and he could sing. He could do both. Yeah, he could. We talked about "Give Me the Night" earlier, and how much it was a, such a mainstream song. But wow,
1: that song "Give Me the Night," um, "Turn Your Love Around," like all of that stuff was just—it it was really the soundtrack of that era. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in the summer. Everybody was playing it from every car. Every time a car stopped <laughs> at the light in front of Linden Plaza, a high-rise, you mm-hmm. would hear it. that's a song you heard everywhere at the beach. It just it just evokes like really good times and it's just sunny days. Like it just makes you feel good, skating, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I could listen to that song on a loop repeatedly all
0: day. Like I never, never get tired of that. Exactly. Song. And you can hear it any day of the week. And you're like, Oh, you know, it just was fr- it's as fresh as it, the first day it came out. And I didn't put, when I was younger, I didn't realize
1: that Quincy Jones had produced that. I didn't realize until later. Like maybe a couple of years ago, Rod Temperton wrote "Give Me the." Night. Yeah, it has
0: all those. It has all those. It has the signature,
1: you know, sound. The echoes. The paddy the, 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 the patty vocal. The the the, the string arrangements. The but break even the sections. Even the way it's written, it's a Rod. Yes, Temperton the horn. The horn. Type section. of song in terms of the. You mm-hmm. know, but it all makes sense now I'm like wow that's that makes sense of the song you have George Benson amazing guitars vocalist and Quincy Jones
0: no wonder why I can't get that song out of my head (laughs) I never wanted to end in my head well yeah it's a it's a New York City type song too even though I know everybody else has their connection to it but during that time um it was a give me the night situation and then that was the song that defined your night and your vibe and your mm, mm. Mm-hmm. it's skating, like it's about bigger, group yeah good. yeah yeah it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it still
1: it still has that power to this day yes the break doesn't beat, it you know everything the break beat in the middle like it's just you know and i wonder
0: it. i wonder if lewis johnson was on on the base i'm sure i think all the because that that pickup is so yeah. like motivating yeah. so you know and the thing about george benson if you look at his discography well i guess i don't i don't i have to look at his discography at some time I I see his list of Grammys from 77 to 2007. But um, I I have not seen a discography in a while, but uh, for anyone who has not experienced George Benson, I've seeing him live was just fabulous. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with him right now. I know he's had some ups and downs. I think he might have even lost a child. I don't know, but um, uh he's he is definitely um a special, special musician. And he is. you know, and his scatting is kind of why I have Louis Armstrong next on the list because see the scatting. But wait, it, hold on, before
1: we get into Louis Armstrong, <laughs> I just want to
0: say one last thing about George
1: Benson. Yes, please. No, we're not gonna
0: move. We're not we're not moving right away. I'm just connecting to scatting. Go ahead. Okay, okay. But <laughs> I'm
1: gonna say please revisit his version of Greatest Love of All because that's one of my favorite oh, versions yes, of the I greatest got. soundtrack. I have really, really visceral memories of that movie and that soundtrack because mom that came took us-
0: before Whitney
1: Houston. Everybody, it was mom, George Benson. My mom took us to see that movie, me and Tunda, and it had a profound effect on us to see Muhammad Ali playing Muhammad Ali. I know, I remember uh, that too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the music
1: in that was so beautiful, and a mm-hmm. lot, some of it George sang a cappella. Mm-hmm. Um. But his version of "Greatest Love of All," that soft, melodic, quiet version of it, it's just it has to be. Isn't it great? It's so beautiful. That's and the one again, I learned. Moves you to tears almost. His voice, his voice is so pretty on that vocal.
0: And the, the vocal, yes. so the song. It actually can move you to tears. That's the one I learned. It is a reflective, contemplative version of the song. Yeah, yeah. It it reflects quiet. Uh, uh, what version. what? A, yeah, it reflects what a um Muhammad Ali would be doing at that part of his life. Right. Which, looking back, looking, looking to see what, you know, what are they doing? Um what a history. You know, I think I'm gonna have to look up that soundtrack for that for that movie.
1: Please go back. We, I we need had to go that sound that up and I used to stare at the album cover and play it all the time and I you know it had <laughs> you a lot of stare instrumental at stuff. I did because it was a, this this wonderful illustration of Ali. And they had like little oh yeah portraits yeah. from the movie, like oh, little yeah. scenes from the movie, <laughs> all yeah. all you know illustrated. But you know, you know, when you're a kid, you see a movie like that you think is the most amazing movie ever. I just love it because Ali played himself. I just you know his brother yeah. was his brother. Yeah, you know, even, like they were all love boxing. But, so, but the music in that movie, the music was so beautiful and. Please revisit Greatest Love of All. That's
0: another thing to do. Let's revisit Greatest Love of All, that soundtrack from the Muhammad Ali movie. Um, The scatting. He he scats and plays like nobody's business. And um, Louis Armstrong, they say he taught Billie Holiday certain things. Wow. Because of the way he would you know, he was definite. And he showed you something special, Louis Armstrong. You know, if, if we had a horn player in this conversation, of course, it would this would just be another beginning of this topic, but um, Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong, um, he didn't have to have um, a, a beautiful velvet voice to make you understand what he was singing about and to hit it perfectly and move you emotionally. You know, and um, Louis Armstrong is from another era. That's another era. He
1: He really is. That is
0: another era. One of my favorite recordings is him and Ella Fitzgerald Autumn in New York.
1: I was going to say, they did a whole album together. And that's something that everyone should check out. The the raspiness and roughness of his voice mixed with her voice, which is like silky, smooth, smooth Mm -hmm. melted butter. The two of those voices together, it's like missing pieces of a puzzle. Like it's just Mm -hmm. every song is just perfect. It's like that perfect soundtrack to your Sunday afternoon if you were just relaxing and chilling or making yourself some brunch or something. It's just that's
0: a beautiful, beautiful album. The two of them put out exactly. People would talk mostly, most people talk about his instrumentation, being him being a wind instrumentalist. Trumpet player—that's what people talk about, because um, he was probably one of the best um, ever. Um, but the thing about Louis Armstrong is he lived at a time when, um, for I guess, where was he born? New Orleans.
1: He was born, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was. Yes. Yes.
0: And um, he—they um, called him Satchmo yeah and they called him Pops it says um he he grew up at a time you know when people were playing dixieland and things like that and and you had to do certain things if you wanted to earn a living yeah that you know you know bulging your eyes smiling a certain way which a lot of it is part of your personality perhaps but there might have been some extra showmanship that was put on to just not be, not to be hassled by other people
1: and to, and
0: to become very popular.
1: That's the genius marketing Mm -hmm. free, the term term marketing that many of our black American artists had to do to project their music to the next level, to be seen as non-threatening to fit into all those different worlds that they wanted to get in. Mm -hmm. And, People loved Louis Armstrong's music. I mean, we were talking about that before. It was a sound that they had to have. They had to have his sound, his his vocals, his horn playing, like people, they, once he came out, people gravitated toward him. Like it just, he was an
0: instant, an instant success. His uh, improvisation musically, uh, and vocally is like the cornerstone of jazz. One of the cornerstones. I think of Jelly Roll Morton and I think of um, other early jazz artists, even um, Scott Joplin and people like that right. that go way back. And um, and I think about, you know, Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith and those ones. But I think of Louis Armstrong. To me, he was that. He's from that part of the past. When I was a little girl, I told you he was in the hospital at Beth Israel. Did I tell you that story? No. Because I was born in Beth Israel and I, I was having uh, some issue. Uh, Mom and dad took me to the hospital there to see the doctor. And Louis Armstrong was in was um, admitted at the same time. I wasn't admitted, but while I was in the waiting room, I realized he. I think I was on his floor or something. And wow. I begged them to let me see him. They would not.
1: Wow. But I did draw him a
0: picture. They promised me they would take it to him.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I, I think I drew a picture. Story. Yeah.
0: I think I drew him a picture. If I can remember, I know I wanted to, I wonder if I got it. I think I got it out. You have to, you have to, this is going back. You know what I mean? Wow. But as a little girl, I wanted to see him so bad because he is history. Really? He is history. You know what I mean? Like that was my touching, like the early the earliest musician I can think of, and I've always been fascinated with the oldest of musicians because of right. their early styles. And and um, yes, they have influences from Africa, from America, the Americas, and Europe all combined to make a jazz or you know a mixture. Or I just I even um, have been thinking, listening to work songs and things like that. Um, but Louis Armstrong he embodied all of it for me they, that he had that strong african in presence yeah he had that um straight up husky um hanging out at the juke joint type voice mm-hmm. and he had that pierce you with that trumpet hit that note he could be sw- he would dress suave you know he would look great you remember how he, he would did. look he he was good really he had yeah. style you know he had that st- he had that, he had that he had swag. Mm-hmm. And when he would do he would just like the, the scatting and the jazz riffs are like that's why everybody loves Louis Armstrong because yeah. he's like the epitome of of um African American swag. He's like the man, you know, yeah. like that's who he would invite over if he was around. You know, and you know, all the the musicians that came after him emulate him, any any horn player knows him respects him emulates him he opened up the doors in in a lot of ways and the men who play saxophone or um trumpet you notice how they take the they take a lead role off right Right. the John Coltrane's the Miles Davis uh, these men because that was their way of asserting their authority or their um, their their ability to take the lead. They were often inhibited. you know they were often oppressed or suppressed, stopped from taking the lead, stopped, right. stopped from from being themselves stepping out front. That was their place to do it. Um, and you know Louis Armstrong basically he just reminds you of that man who steps out front.
1: Do you think he got a raw deal um, historically when the newest sound came around and people kind of rejected like what he represented in terms of, you know, him being, you know, the way he chose to perform, how loud he was or how they perceived him playing or maybe I pandering it, yeah. to the crowd? Do so you think that he was looked at unfairly
0: somewhat by the next generation. Some, somewhat, somewhat. somewhat yeah. but I think it's a lack of respect and a lack of understanding or insight. It's the same thing as people who, you know, talk about Black Americans a certain way. They don't understand yeah. what's going on. And because um, of, of um, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. you know, it's the same type of misunderstanding. And I think many, many African Americans have that misunderstanding about other people who mm-hmm. are um, in different parts of the world who are of color. And, mm-hmm. and, and we don't understand their story because we're not there and we haven't grown up there, you know? Mm-hmm. And these new musicians, the new generation, some of them don't respect and understand um, what those musicians did so that mm-hmm. to make it easy for them to do what they do. Right. Not, not that those musicians necessarily knew they were doing that. They were trying to, they were surviving but some of their sacrifices, you know, people definitely climbed up on it on top of their heads to get where they're going. And I think people like the Marsalis brothers, you know, respect Louis because they they're from New Orleans as well. Right. And they, they understand some of the hardship. And then their dad and people who came before them made sure they were clear on then on the story and the narratives. But I don't think I think a lot of people became strange mm. later on. I'm not gonna judge anybody right now because also. I may not agree with their views, but I know that because they had been hurt as musicians or whatever, they felt a need to break away from every and anything that was like that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but sometimes, you know, it, when when there's not, when you don't have balance and when you don't have all the facts, sometimes you need to step back and kind of get just get everything straight, get the story straight. Right. Before you make a judgment on something, you can make your own personal judgment, and, and, and in terms of how you want to live your life. But you don't necessarily want to. um That everyone may not be entitled to that information. I, I'm glad that you said that. Mm-hmm. I think it should be said. hmm Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, I lo- I loved him. So you know, and that and that's just me. I knew what was going on because you know our mom was no shrinking shrinking Daisy. Right. You know, our mom taught us what was going on and what was happening with with the history. We saw what was going on on television, you know. Even though we didn't really have to deal with certain things because we were always taught that we mattered, right. um, whether anyone knew that or not, you know. Um, however, um, I want to pick this up. I want to I want to continue this conversation. I, I might want to stop here. Okay. And do a part two. Okay. How do you feel about that?
1: I'm totally fine.
0: Because I'm a little tired. Okay. And I think we have enough to, um, like, because the, there's more to say about that Louis Armstrong situation. And the next two in this category are pretty intense. So I don't wanna, <laughs> like, I don't wanna, we don't wanna shortchange anybody. Uh, yeah, I don't wanna yeah. shortchange anybody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, singing instrumentalist part one, we did it. Sis, mm-hmm. thank you so much. No problem, sis. Okay, you know, Reeves, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being with me today. This thank was for, great. Thank you for being in my life, sis. You know I love you. I love you, too. Thank, thank you for you. being in mine. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. We'll talk soon, okay? Definitely. Okay, have a great night. Okay, you too. Next time, part two, singing instrumentalists. This has been Audio Percolator, the Black male vocalist, the Black American male rhythm and blues vocalist. Well. We'll simplify that. Thank you. Love you. Bye bye. Bye bye.